Thank you. Hey guys, welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. Let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation, followed by fog light prayer. All right. Good evening, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. Go right ahead, please. No, you go first. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. The coffee area is in the back, so when you go get coffee, just make sure you don't make a big deal about it and distract and disturb others. And also, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. For meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath and posture, breathe in God and breathe out self. What does that look like? Well, you sit up nice and straight and then take a deep breath in and fill yourself right up. Let it percolate at the top and just kind of breathe in extra and then release. And if you do that for three minutes and just focus on posture and breath, what are you going to feel like at the end of it? Amazed, comfortable in, in the presence. Um, for Take this time to get reconnected to God. Let the craziness of our days drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the study tonight. So as soon as the monks finish coming in, we're going to shut the doors. You're going to turn the light off. Oh, I'll fix that when you're back. And uh, hi, the monk came in. (laughs) 
have a secretary at this meeting, so let's go ahead and have Tanisha up here for our secretary. Yay, Tanisha. And I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states, every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I've asked Todd to read the recovery statement. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic center centers in his mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we are recovered. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Todd. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be recovered, a recovered alcoholic. 1940-style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggested suggests a 75% success rate. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale in the back. Along with that, we also are passing around um, this notice, which is from Intergroup, which um, is basically a form for um, AA 12-step calls. Um, Excuse me? Just ignore Move along. <laughs> uh, pretty much, um, you fill out your name, phone number, email, and um, how you prefer to get contact, um, city of residence, um, if you will call them back, or if you would actually pay them a visit, I suggest going in pairs, um, and your availability Monday to Friday or weekends. And um, that can range from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m., 12 p.m. to 5 p.m., 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., and 9 
p.m. to 8 a.m. That's the graveyard shift. So if you're a night owl and need something to do, like save a life, that'll be great and carry the message. We meet every Monday promptly at 7.15. We ask that you be courteous and be ready to begin at the Road to Recovery tune. See you next week. Thank you. (laughs) That form is actually, it's for inner group, so... Um, when they get people in need of a 12-step call, the list they have right now is dwindled down to just a few. So for those of you that love to do 12-step calls, which should be all of us, fill out the form with the proper information, and they'll talk to you, and they have a training, a little training program to go through, but it's a great way to give back in the middle of the night. Um, from the board of the first edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We have Alcoholics Anonymous and more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From there is a solution, also from the big book, the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting. As such, all who have interest in alcoholism, our program of recovery are welcome. Um, You need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected, and we ask that you protect yours. On the anonymity, we have a podcast. We record this meeting. So if you don't want your voice to be recorded and out on the Internet, just pass the mic to the person next to you or just disguise your voice creatively. Can we have a show of hands of anyone joining us for the first time? Anybody here for their very first time? Welcome. Thanks. Welcome. Can I see a show of hands of the recovered alcoholics in the room? Keep your hands up. If your hand's not up, talk to the folks whose hands are so you can start reading and spending time with people and get your life in order. That's where the growth really begins is working with others. While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. Does anybody need a book? Did anybody scoot by and not get a book? Good. Big book study? We have books. Fantastic. Everybody seems to have a book. Before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed Tradition 7 8. We reviewed 8. So tonight, we're going to do 8 tonight. And so let's take a quick review of that Tradition number 8 with Ryan. Please refer to the Unabridged book, page 562. In the skinny mini version, it's 177. Ryan. Ryan, that was quick, just slid up there really fast. 552, you say? Yes, sir, 562 in the fatty patty. Hey, I'm Ryan, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Ryan. Right, so tonight we are going over Tradition 8. Um, so in the short form, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Uh, and then in the long form, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. We define professionalism as the occupation of counseling alcoholics for fees or higher. But we may employ alcoholics where they are going to perform those services for which we might otherwise have to engage non-alcoholics. Such special services may be well recompensed. But our usual AA 12-step work is never to be paid for. Never. Um, so I found this tradition interesting just because it seems like it's, the, it's out of all of them, it's the one that's developed the most um, to what it is today after it was written. Um, but basically what this one comes down to is that we don't get paid for doing 12-step work. Um, we can't charge someone for something that was so freely given to us. 
Um, you know, and there's just something about sitting with a person whose only mo motive in helping you in your recovery is enthusiasm and gratitude for their own. Um, but besides that, uh, besides it being something that we want to do, it also offers us insurance in our own sobriety uh, because recovered alcoholics know that the only way that they can keep what they have is by giving it away, not selling it. Uh, so with that being said, uh, there are people that do work for Alcoholics Anonymous. The 12 and 12 offers the examples of the club janitor or the cook. Um, or another example might be a secretary working for general service. Um, in a perfect world, all these positions would be handled by volunteers, and there would be no argument. But something that we notice early on is that there's just too much work to be done. Um, so let's look at the secretary, for example. Uh, tons and tons of letters and literature have to be sent out all over the world. Uh, phones are ringing off the hook with questions about Alcoholics Anonymous, and hopeless drunks are trying to find an answer to what seems like an impossible question. Uh, so it makes sense then that employing an alcoholic in this position would be best. Uh, we want to make sure that the message being expressed represents the views of AA as a whole, and who better to do that than an AA? <clears throat> uh, there's a paragraph in Language of the Heart that I think really touches on this pretty well. Um, we are beginning to see that our few paid workers are performing only those service tasks that our volunteers cannot consistently handle. Primarily, these folks are not doing 12-step work. They are just making more and better 12-step work possible. Secretaries at their desks are valuable points of contact, information, and public relations. That is what they are paid for and nothing else. They help carry the good news of AA to the outside world and bring our, pros our prospects face-to-face -face with us. That's not AA therapy. It's just a lot of very, un a lot of very necessary but often thankless work. Um, I really like the part in that where it says that these people aren't paid for doing 12-step work. They're paid to make 12-step work happen. Um, so to sum it up, as individuals, we have one purpose, and that's to freely carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. I think Bill Wilson wrapped it up. He wrapped up Tradition 8 and the 12 and 12 pretty good. Um, he said that our 12-step is never to be paid for, but those who labor and service for us are worthy of their hire. So that's all I've got for Tradition Once 8. Once again, thank you very much. In order for us to stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide, which was prepared by Krusty Cliff with the aid of Joe and Charlie. And tonight we have uh, helping us read from the podium. It's going to be Johnny. So, John, if you would. John or Johnny? I thought it was Johnny, but welcome. Hey, Johnny, come on up. Tonight we're going to begin reading on page 152, which will be read in the front by Johnny. Here's Johnny. John. John? Good. Hi, John. Sorry. Sorry, John. After the page is read, we're going to ask questions from the podium, starting back at the top of page 152, 153. Ish. Ish. And uh, the answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified. Multi-part questions are simply one sentence answers split up by commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. For the folks who just got here, what that means is we're going to read the podium once, John will, up at the front, and then we're going to dissect that information a second time by reading and asking questions which are answered by reading again. Notice how the language in the questions gives us new light in which to consider the study material studied. This is important because hearing the question and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read. If you have spiritual experiences with this information, you are free to share. However, Big Book Study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed 
in a different setting with your sponsor, therapist, psychiatrist, or attorney. Please do not be offended. We cut that conversation short for that purpose. We have the fellowship meetings before and after our study time. You can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sobriety, freedom from alcohol through the teaching and practice of the 12 Steps is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. So when sharing, let's try to stay specifically to what's been read. Let's try to avoid squirrel holes or rabbit holes, or we call those things, stay focused on what we've read tonight. Um, we're on page 153 in A Vision for You, and this is our 80th session this time around, which means 80 weeks ago we started into the forwards, and the main purpose of the forwards was to introduce the newcomer, everyone, up to Alcoholics Anonymous. It's informational about how we begin, some historical statistics, how our success rates were, some of the information on how we got started and where we're at today. There's four, there's four preferences and I think the preface or forwards. That's some good stuff in there, which leads us to the doctor's opinion. And the doctor's opinion, it's written by Dr. William D. Silkworth. He was the chief physician at Towns Hospital in New York in 1935 when they wrote the big book. And he talks about the disease of alcoholism. What does it mean if I'm an alcoholic? Well, he talks about this physical allergy, which means that I can't drink alcohol without craving more alcohol. It's called the phenomenon of craving. Also, I have a mental obsession, which means that I will I'll have a seemingly trivial reason for picking up the first drink. I can't really not pick up the first drink. And then I have this spiritual malady. It's kind of hinted at a little bit in the doctor's opinion. And he talks about why men and women drink. So if you want to find out why men and women drink, you can read the doctor's opinion and find out. And if you want to see what it looks like, we got a chapter called Bill's Story. That brings a little bit of information into the forwards, how AA got started. And it goes in depth on alcoholism, the progression, the solution, and what life is afterwards. It does touch specifically a little bit on the spiritual side of the solution. And we have a whole chapter to explain that. And that's called... There is a solution. The solution is God. The solution is a spiritual experience. Uh, but there's actually two powers that are around Alcoholics Anonymous. One of those powers is the fellowship. Uh, so we have this power that's uh, the feeling of having shared in a common peril. It's a powerful element of the cement that binds us all together. But that wouldn't have held us together as we're now joined. The tremendous fact is that we have the common solution, which is the 12 steps, a path to a spiritual experience. And if you're not convinced, if you know about the solution, but you're not willing to actually take action and do the solution... We have the next chapter, which is called More About Alcoholism. And having a bunch of people around you that want to stay sober and excited about being sober doesn't really work. If you take a look back to the history, we have the Washingtonians, which didn't have a program of action. They didn't have a program of recovery. It was a social group of a bunch of people signing pledges not to drink and hanging out with you, which got really excited, got really big, really fast. But then as people started, what do untreated alcoholics eventually do? They drink, so they had all these people coming in the front door and sneaking out the back door, and that eventually collapsed. We have a program of action, which is found in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and there's a solution that explains, or more about alcoholism, puts us into a corner. As Fred used to say, the book has painted you into a corner now. You're a drunk, and there's no other way out. You're either going to follow a spiritual path, or you're going to die. Well... Let's, let's, let's think about that a little bit. What's that look like? What does untreated alcoholism look like? And that's what more about alcoholism. Chapter on relapse, untreated alcoholism. So I found myself, I'm a drunk. There's nothing else I can do about it. But I'm really not too excited about this whole spiritual thing. So we have a chapter called We Agnostics. And We Agnostics, it starts on page 44. We talk about if when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely. Or if when you're drinking, you have little control over the amount you take. You're probably an alcoholic, which means you're suffering from an illness, which only a spiritual experience will conquer. 
And if you feel like you're an atheist or an agnostic, a spiritual experience seems unfathomable. It seems like something you might not even be interested in, right? Maybe you hate God or maybe you don't believe in God. But uh, it's not a big deal because more than half of the original members of Alcoholics Anonymous were of exactly that type. So there's plenty of room for you to get sober in AA if you don't believe in God or it talks about the foundation. This foundation is willingness, and it's a great chapter. I suggest you read it with your sponsor, and after you do, you can get into the next chapter. Which, which is, is called How It Works. We've decided we're an alcoholic, and the only way for me to get sober is to have a spiritual experience, a relationship with God. So we make a decision, third-step decision, to turn my will, which is my thinking, and my life, which is my actions, over to this care and understanding of this God I don't understand, and I turn it over to him, and I immediately have to get rid of the stuff that's blocking me from God. We have a four-step inventory, resentments, fears, sexual conduct, and harms to others. I go at it, and I discover the things that are blocking me from God, and then I take it to my sponsor in the next chapter. The next chapter is called Into Action. We talk about the fifth step, the instructions for how to do that, which is we admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. So it lays out those fifth step instructions, goes through six and seven. And actually, we have eight and nine and 10 and 11 instructions. So we have seven, 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 yeah, seven, seven steps, in, seven one steps in one chapter. So it's packed full of content, premium content. And you can actually get recovered and have a spiritual experience doing that work. So it's incredible. Uh, and the design for living. That's how I should be waking up and, and uh, going to bed every night, too, if I'm a recovered alcoholic. And then it says, you know, let's wait a couple of years before we start working with others. No, it doesn't. It has us working with others right away. We got a chapter called Working with Others, which is we start to bring this experience to other people. I am not a Buddha. I am not a priest. I am just another drunk who's found a solution that I want to share with other people. So we have a chapter that's basically about 12-step calls, how to get somebody interested about alcoholics and others, how to get them self-diagnosed about alcoholics and others, and then we get them in the book as quickly as possible and let God do the heavy lifting. Now we got a whole bunch of other people we've harmed that we got to fix up, don't we? We sure do. We have a chapter called Two Wives. This is our pre-Al-Anon chapter, and it deals with you know, how the wife of somebody that's suffering from alcoholism can actually live happy, joyous, and free once the alcoholic is introduced to the program of recovery, whether or not the alcoholic stays sober. So how can the people that are affected by the alcoholic live even if the person doesn't get sober? And then there's more people than just two wives, right? we got a whole other group of people. In our so there's two ways for that wife to I just thinking, there's two ways for they get to happy jo- for that wife to get happy, joyous and free. One of them is to get a divorce and get on with their lives. Yeah. And another one is to find God in a way of living so they can help their husbands find God and they can go happily ever after. And then we got the family to deal with. It's called the family afterwards. Not after dad gets sober, not after mom gets enlightened. It's like after they found out there's a program of action, action there's a solution that the family can participate in and it helps the family to to limit the expects limit their expectations to find out what's really going on and to examine what in their lives they can do to help dad and also ways that they cannot hurt dad. And after to the family afterward, we have the chapter two employers, which we finished a couple weeks ago. Two employers talks about how a company employing alcoholics uh, can gainfully go about getting them uh, help and what they should do. If you're not willing to get sober, if you're not willing to accept the program of action, then you're fired. Are you willing to accept the program? Yes. Excellent. Here it is. No. Okay. You're fired. And uh, it's, it, it, there's more more to it than that. But uh, mm-hmm. that, that's my understanding of to the employers. You know, when you read the wives to the family afterwards and to the employers, it's all implied that whoever's reading that has read the book from page zero to get to this point. So they're going into this with some knowledge. They've got some idea of what alcoholism is. The idea for the employers is to point out 
Bob's an alcoholic, and Joe's just a heavy problem, heavy hard drinker. I can, I can, you know, I can manage this one, but this guy, we got to get him help, offer him a solution. If he doesn't want it, time to move on, help him find that way. And then we got the part called a vision for you. I always wait about two months after I've worked with somebody to go and read vision for you with them because it's a wake-up call. You're reading, they're either reading vision for you, and they're going like, yes, I'm doing that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or they, they, their, their jaw drops. And they go, I'm not doing none of this stuff. Hence, why are you getting miserable? Why are you not happy, joyous, and free? So we're in a vision for you, which is an opportunity that once you've had the spiritual experience, you're putting this action into your life. What do I do with it? How do I find people to work with? How do I start living? So the whole vision for you is a great chapter. And we're going to tee up on page 152. We got John. going to read that for us tonight. And... Let's start at 152. Yes. See where it says yes? Yes. Is this sound working, Mr. Michael? Probably not. Is it? Yeah. Okay, you guys Uh, talk loud. Okay, fine. Page 152. (laughs) Hello, John, recovered alcoholic. Louder. Hey, John. Um, Should I start? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Yes, there is a substitute, and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find a fellowship, and so will you. How is that to come about, you ask? Where am I to find these people? You're going to meet these new friends in your own community. Near you, alcoholics are dying helplessly like people in a sinking ship. If you live in a large place, there are hundreds. High and low, rich and poor. These are future fellows of Alcoholics Anonymous. Among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties, for you will escape disaster together, and you will commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself, that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. Get the impression that they're like telling you to go work with newcomers, work with drunks as a recovered alcoholic. Sure sounds like it. Yeah. It may seem incredible that those men are become happy, are to become happy, respected, and useful once more. How can they arise out of such misery, bad repute, and hopelessness? The practical answer is that since these things have happened among us, they can happen with you. Should you wish them them above all else and be willing to make use of our experience, we are sure they will come. The age of miracles is still with us. Our own recovery proves that. And this is where we'll start our study tonight. Thanks. Mm -hmm. You can read. I can go. No, you keep reading. I keep reading. Okay. Our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched on the world tide of alcoholism, defeated drinkers will seize upon it to follow its suggestions. Many, we are sure, will rise to their feet and march on. They will approach still other sick ones, and fellowships, of, and fellowships of Alcoholics Anonymous may spring up in each city and hamlet, havens for those who must find a way out. In the chapter Working with Others, you gathered an idea of how we approach and aid others to health. Suppose now that through you, several families have adopted this way of life. You will want to know more of how to proceed from that point. Perhaps the best way of treating you to a glimpse of your future will be to describe the growth of the fellowship among us. Here's a brief account. Years ago, in 1935, one of our number made a journey to a certain western city. From a business standpoint, his trip came off badly. Had he been successful in his enterprise, he would have been set on his feet financially, which at the time seemed vitally important. But his venture wound up in a lawsuit and bogged down completely. The proceeding was shot through with much hard feeling and controversy. (coughs) Bitterly discouraged, he found himself in a strange place, discredited and almost broke. Still physically weak and sober, but a few months, he saw that his predicament was dangerous. He wanted so much to talk with someone, but whom? 
One dismissal afternoon, he paced the hotel lobby wondering how his bill was to be paid. At one end of the room stood a glass-covered directory of local churches. Down the, lobby, a door, down the lobby, a door opened into an attractive bar. He could see the gay crowd inside. In there, he would find a companionship and release. Unless he took some drinks, he might not have the courage to scrape an acquaintance and would have a lonely weekend. Mm. Of course, he couldn't drink, but why not sit hopeful, hopefully at a table, a bottle of ginger ale before him? After all, he had not been sober. After all, had he not been sober six months now? Perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks. No more. <clears throat> no more. Fear gripped him. He was on thin ice. Again, it was the old insidious insanity of that first drink. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Music and gay chatter still floated to him from the bar. But what about his responsibilities? His family, the men who knew who would die because... But what about his responsibilities? His family, the men who would die because they would not know how to get well. Mm -hmm. Ah, yes, those other alcoholics. There must be many such in this town. He would phone a clergyman. His sanity returned and he thanked God. Selecting a church at random from the directory, he stepped into a booth and lifted the receiver. His call to the clergyman led him, to, led him presently to a certain resident of the town who, though formerly able and respected, was nearing the nadir of alcoholic despair. It was the usual situation. Home in jeopardy, wife ill, children distracted, bills in arrears, and standing damaged. He had a desperate desire to stop, but saw no way out, for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. He had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. Why, he argued, would he lose the remainder of his business, only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people from whom he made his livelihood. He would do anything, he said, but that. <laughs> Being intrigued, however, he invited our friend to his home. Sometime later, and just as though he was getting, as, just as he thought, he was getting control of his liquor situation. He went on a roaring bender. For him, this was the spree that ended all sprees. He saw that he would have to face his problem squarely that God might give him mastery. One morning, he took the bull by the horns and set out to tell, the, tell those he feared what his trouble had been. He found himself surprisingly well-received and learned that many knew of his drinking. Stepping into his car, he made, his, he made the rounds of people he had hurt. He trembled as he went about, for this might ring ruin, particularly to a person in his line of business. At midnight, he came home exhausted, but very happy. He has not had a drink since. As we shall see, he now means a great deal to his community, and the major liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four. Good. We're going to start the questions on bottom of 153. You can do the questions tonight. I'll run with the microphone. You yes, ready? Yes, sir. Yeah. Good read. You can just sit up here and make yourself comfortable. All right. So we're, stop we're starting at 153 <clears throat> in the second full paragraph. What is our hope? Our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched on the world, tide of alcoholism, defeated drinkers will seize upon it to follow its suggestions. Of what are we sure? Many, we are sure, will rise to their feet and march on. We had a two-part question here. They will then do what, and what will be the results of these actions? They will approach still other sick ones, and fellowships of Alcoholics Anonymous may spring up in each city and hamlet, havens for those who must find a way out. 
Next paragraph. What did you learn in chapter 7? In the chapter, working with others, you gathered an idea of how we approach and aid others to help. Since you followed the directions laid out for us in that chapter, what has happened? Suppose now that that through you, several families have adopted this new way of life. What will you now want to do? You will want to know more of how to proceed from that point. How do we propose to give you a glimpse of what can be your future? Perhaps the best way of treating you to a glimpse of your future will be to describe the growth of the fellowship among us. All right, next paragraph. Uh, Actually, yeah, next paragraph. The brief account begins when? How did it begin? Two-part question. Here is a brief account. Years ago in 1935, one of our number made a journey to a certain western city. How Who's that, you guys think? Good, we got some smarties. How did his business deal go? Uh, from a business standpoint, his trip came off badly. If his business deal had gone well, what would have been his expected future? Had he been successful in his enterprise, he would have been set on his feet financially, which at the time seemed vitally important. But, uh, but how did his deal wind up? But his venture wound up in a lawsuit and bogged down completely. What did the proceeding produce? The proceeding was shot through with much hard feeling and controversy. Next paragraph. Very discouraged. How did he find himself? Bitterly discouraged. He found himself in a strange place, discredited and almost broke. All right. Next one is a three-part question. In what physical condition was he? How long had he been sober? And what could he see for himself? Still physically weak and sober, but a few months, he saw that his predicament was dangerous. And what was, what was it he really wanted? He wanted so much to talk with someone, but whom? Next paragraph. On that afternoon, what was he wondering? One dismal afternoon, he paced, he paced a lobby or a hotel lobby, wondering how he st- he his bill was to be paid. What was at one end of the lobby? Hi. At one end of the end of the room stood a glass-covered directory of local churches. What was at the other end? Down the lobby, a door opened into an attractive bar. What did he see in there? He could see the gay crowd inside. What might he find in there? In there, he would find companionship and release. Next question is two-part. Without a couple of drinks, was he afraid he would not be able to have what, and how would his weekend be? Unless he took some drinks, he might not have the courage to scrape an acquaintance and would have a lonely weekend. Next paragraph. Even though he knew he couldn't afford to drink, what was he thinking? Of course he couldn't drink, but why not? sit hopeful at a table, a a bottle of ginger ale before him. Why not? He had been sober how long? After all, he had sober six months now. Perhaps he had handled maybe, say, three drinks or more. What did his alcoholic mind, the insidious insanity, say to him? Fear gripped him. He was on thin ice. What did he experience with that thought? Where? 
Again, it was that old insidious insanity, that first drink. How secure did he feel? With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. What was he experiencing? Music. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church. Is that where we're supposed to be? Well, I know music, but that's okay. Music and gay chatter still floated to him from the bar. <laughs> what did he do? Okay, we're on the next paragraph. Okay. Who did he think of? But what about his responsibilities, his family and the men who would die because they would not know how to get well? Ah, uh, yes, those other alcoholics. Should it be very difficult to find one? There must be many such in this town. What returned and what did he do because it did? He would phone a clergyman, his sanity returned, and he thanked God. All right, we are on the next page here, 155. What did he do then? Selecting a church at random from the directory, he stepped into a booth and lifted the receiver. Next paragraph, it's a two-part question. Where did his call lead him? And in what condition was, the, was this formerly able and respected person? His call to the clergyman led him presently to a certain resident of the town who, though formerly able and respected, was then nearing the nadir of alcoholic despair. And we've got a comment here. Nadir means bottom, lowest point. Next question, what was his situation? It was the usual situation. Home in alcoholic despair. Wait, Home in jeopardy. Wife ill. Children distracted. Bills in arrears. And standing damaged. Two-part question. What was his desperate desire, and had he given up hope? He had a desperate desire to stop, but saw no way out, for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. He knew he was not normal, but what was it he did not know? Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. We have an asterisk here, indicates a footnote, which identifies the principles of this story and where we may find their stories in this book. Next paragraph, after Bill told his story, what did Dr. Bob agree? When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. Two-part question, what did Dr. Bob concede as being absolutely necessary, and how did he first feel about the program of action? A spiritual experience, he conceded, was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. What did he admit to Bill? <clears throat> um, he told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. What had Dr. Bob rationalized? He had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. Two-part question, what was his argument, and the result of which would bring more suffering to whom? Why, he argued, should he lose the remainder of his business, only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people for whom he made his livelihood? To what length was he not willing to go? He would do anything he said but that. Ne well, we're about to find out. Next paragraph. Being intrigued, what did Dr. Bob and Ann do? Being intrigued, however, he invited our friend to his home. Three weeks later, what did Dr. Bob do? 
Sometime later, and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. Was this just an overnight drunk? For him, this was the spree that ended all sprees. Two-part question, what did it convince Dr. Bob he must do, and if he wanted God to do what? He saw that he would have to face his problems squarely, that God might give him mastery. Mastery. Next paragraph. What did Dr. Bob do one morning? One morning he took the bull by the horns and set out to tell his feared what his troubles had been. He was surprised to learn what two things. He found himself surprisingly well received and learned that many knew of his drinking. He got into his car and did what? Stepping into his car, he made the rounds of people he had hurt. Why did he tremble as he made his amends? He trembled as he went about, for this might mean ruin, particularly to a person in his line of business. Next paragraph, we have a two-part question. When did he finally come home, and what shape was he in? At midnight, he came home exhausted but very happy. Uh, how well did it work for him? He has not had a drink since. Comment, Dr. Bob had his last drink on the morning of June 10th, 1935. He lived the rest of his life sober and passed away in November 16th, uh, 1950. We have uh, one more question here. The liabilities, the major liabilities resulting from 30 years of hard drinking were repaired in how many years? Four. All right, we have another comment, Dr. Yeah. Yeah. As we shall see, he now means a great deal to his community. And the major liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four years. Okay. And uh, Dr. Bob had his last drink in June 1935. This book was published in April of 1939. And with that, we're going to go ahead and open up the page for comments. So if you have any experience with this, anything you want to talk about in related to a vision for you, page, okay, we got a couple of folks. Hey there. I'm talking to the dot. Hey, Peter. Interesting. Um, what stuck out for me was um, their talk of um, Bill W.'s experience and his encounter with Dr. Bob. Um, and, and that whole situation, like, Dr. Bob was a medical guy. He was very well-educated um, in the arts of medicine. And yet, you know, he didn't know or have any understanding um, about the um, physical allergy to alcohol that he had, that he was dealing with. Um, um, and on the flip side of it, like, he was really well-versed in spiritual matters and so on and, you know, had lots of good intentional people that were very spiritual and, you know, making way with their lives and so on. But um, that, that first part, you know, he just didn't get till till he encountered Bill W., you know, um, and thanks to the work that Bill did with Dr. Silkworth, you know, did he get that information? And it was nice how it just ama it amazes me, like, how Bill comes with this, you know, he's all all geared up and fired up now with this new information. The doctor, um, Dr. Silkworth, advising him to, like, stop preaching to these drunks, you know, and, you know, give them the facts, you know, about, you know, what, what alcoholism is and so on. And, you know, he gets his first prospect, who just so happens to be a doctor, who, when he drops this whole spiel on him, makes sense to him, you know? And um, just amazing. And, you know, these two guys set forth... Um, 
to vigorously work with other guys, you know, and I really think that's um, what made it happen for them. You know, their, 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 their passion and enthusiasm to help other alcoholics and work with other alcoholics. I think that's really, really what helped them um, stay sober. Thank you. Thanks. Who else? Thanks. Thanks. We have one up here. Hi, Karina, recovered alcoholic. Hi, and, Karina. Um, you know, it's just uh, amazing how uh, pride can keep us sick. And, you know, my experience with uh, not only myself going through the steps, but taking women through the steps is usually four and nine of the sticking points. You know, we don't want to lose our reputation or uh, perhaps we think that people don't know of our uh, past misdeeds or, you know, how bad things really are. But the truth is, is that everybody pretty much knows before we do. And, um, you know, it's just amazing how, you know, when um, we get leveled and uh, when God gives us the willingness how we can get into a recovered state. But uh, usually, um, I, if I have a person that's not willing to make the amends um, and, is, and goes, falls back into untreated alcoholism as a result of that, you know, the main thing, you know, is I tell them, take out the cards that, you know, you got to do these amends. This is how important this is. You know, and we see that Dr. Bob couldn't get sober until he actually followed through and uh, didn't balk and went through and uh, did all of his amends. And, uh, and then he never drank again. So it's really, really important that we continue um, finish what we started. Javier, recovered alcoholic. Hi, hey, Javier. So I'm thinking, um, like, in the past, if I wanted to <clears throat> use or drink, um, you know, I, I, oftentimes I think AA demands that I, I do certain things, and I'm like, I can't do that. You know, I think to myself, but if I look at this and I just play with the story a little bit, so let's just say I'm Bill and uh, Dr. Bob's the dope man or the guy that's got the liquor, right? If I wanted that, like I would have called Andrew and Andrew would have said, my boy Jack's got this and Jack would have been like, actually, you know what? You should call Shay and Shay's got it. And I would have gone to where Andrew is, gone to where Jack is, then probably hitched a ride over to Shay to get what I wanted to get. And that's like exactly what I did every single time that I was out there using and needed to get something. And here what we're seeing is Bill applying that same desperation, but instead of being in a blank spot during using, he's in a blank spot that involves God and the spiritual experience afterwards. So what that looks like is instead of him meeting up with, to, with the dope man, God's guiding his divine journey through seconds and inches. And it's like, going because before he even got to dr bob there were all of these people that led him to dr bob and in dr bob and the good old timers it points out like he had to call like a clergyman the clergyman called some other lady and some lady called this and like it just goes through all of this divine journey to dr bob so that bill can meet dr bob so that they can get sober together and like we can be here today so it's like pretty miraculous how that happens but yet it's the same thing as me chasing the other spirit instead of like the Holy Spirit. Like it's just like two different, it's, it's me chasing the same spirit, but one's going to kill me, one's going to save my life. Um, and the next part too, like I like how Bill tells him like, hey, this is my experience. He's speaking a language. 
the language of the heart, the language of the alcoholic. At the beginning of a vision for you, it refers to alcoholing as shivering denizens. The term denizen is a foreigner in a country that he doesn't belong. If I go to somewhere where I don't know their language, I feel like I don't belong. I don't know how to ask for help. I don't know who to talk to. And that's kind of like sometimes the language of the alcoholic is different than the language of the normal person. Like I find, you know, making jokes about death kind of funny. And the normal person's like, that's not okay. Um, so it's like, <laughs> Um, so different things like that. And so it's like this program is about finding our way back to the citizens of where we always were meant to live and exist, which is, you know, at home with God. Um, but Bill doesn't try to convince Dr. Bob. He, like, gives him it. And then what does the convincing? Whiskey does the convincing, you know. And, and it just goes back to, like, today, like, and going back to that really boring book that I didn't like to read, Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, like before you can get sober in AA, I would walk in, have to convince Mike Chase and Chris that I was an alcoholic and really needed the help. After I would convince them, they would say like, okay, um, you have convinced us that you're an alcoholic and, are, and want what we have. You can go downstairs to the basement where I would get on my knees and give my life to the Lord. Like that's like my third step prayer. And today it's kind of like me sitting in the rooms of AA or at the halfway being like, bro, you have a problem. Don't leave. Please, you got to stay. Don't you see? Like, please, you're going to die please don't do this like i'm trying to convince the alcoholic that they're an alcoholic instead of the alcoholic convincing me that they really want the help and so like it's like kind of flipped it um and then the last thing that really got to me was like how it says that the liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four so like in the beginning like i think everything's so huge and like how everything is like never going to be repaired. And then God does all of these miracles in my life and shows me that he's real and how he can heal all of these things. And then sometimes what happens in, in my sobriety is like I come across these periods of suffering and these periods of darkness where I want to take my will back because I know what, you know, is going to make me feel better instead of get better. But like what happens is like I forget and like, I have to ask myself, like, am I putting limits on how much God can heal in my life? You know, it is like a broken heart and me thinking that God's never going to be able to mend my broken heart. Like, as far as I know, like God can create the universe out of nothing. And so, like, if that's what I truly believe, like, do I think that, like, God's not going to be able to give me, like, like if, he, if he's already mended my, my, my life in step nine, then, like, if I've been sober now and I'm going through trials and tribulations in my sobriety, like, have I forgotten what God has done for me already? And am I thinking to myself, like, God's not going to be able to do this? And God's, am I putting limits on God? Because if I'm putting limits on God, then I, that's not God. I'm God. And so, like, that's just something that really speaks to me and, like, really, like, just fires me up. Like, I want to worship a limitless God because I'm trying to live a limitless life. Like, and that's what I'm really strive to do today. So I don't know. There was a lot of really cool stuff there. Thanks. Mm, Thank thanks you very sure. much. You know, we're talking about Bill. And, you know, Bill, he ended up at the bottoms. He could not stay sober. And Ebby went and met him at the detox. And he had talked to him previously about the Oxford group style of fundamental Christianism to get his solution on alcoholism. And Bill rejected the fundamental Christianism. That was He liked the ideas. He thought it was a great idea. But he just wasn't into being a fundamentalist Christian. And then when he's in detox, Bill or uh, Ebby came in and sort of tricked him through the process. He, he, he brought him through the Oxford group without specifically referring to 
the Christian aspect of it, more of a God opened up for God mind. And Bill had a spiritual experience. He had a white light experience, and he had recovered from alcoholism of that. And, but he knew they had to help others. So he didn't want to take what he had learned from the Oxford group. So he was running around talking to just a bunch of drunks, talking about having the white light experience without really explaining what alcoholism, he was not having any success. And he went to Lois one time, and he mentioned that. It's like, honey, I've been trying to get all these people sober. I'm doing this stuff. And she said, honey, at least you're staying sober. So Bill had his white light experience, which helped him to recover from alcoholism, working intensively with others, kept him sober, kept him growing, but he didn't have a program of action that had been proven workable. He wasn't willing to do the Oxford because that was too extreme for him. So he's just trying to get this white light experience on people, and they're thinking he's on drugs or drunk and stuff. You know, they're running away from him. So he goes out of town. He finds himself out of town, bankrupt, going to go crazy, goes to the bar, now, the cool thing, he goes to the bar, and it was a fundraiser for the alcoholic wing at the hospital. Dr. Bob should have been there if he was going to be a member of that hospital. He wasn't there, but he ended up going there, right? So Bill ends up walking the church and figures out that he's got to call somebody to stay sober. You know, Bill was a member of the Oxford group, so he could have gotten on the phone and called up the Oxford group and said, hey, listen, I feel like getting drunk today. I need to speak to some people and go to an Oxford group meeting. But he knew that wasn't going to help him. He knew they had to work with another alcoholic. So he tracked down a drunk. And that drunk happened to be an Oxford group person who happened to be an alcoholic. Now, Dr. Bob had been going to the Oxford group for two years trying to find a spiritual experience for his Ill, illness or for his problem of drinking, thinking the reason he drank is he didn't have a good relationship with God. So he'd go to the Oxford group meetings, be all fired up with Jesus, all fired up with the Lord. On his way home, figured, I'm so close to Jesus. Let's go home and have a couple of schnapps on the way, honey. And she says, oh, I don't know, honey. He says, oh, honey, I got more Jesus than Jesus tonight. I can handle it, right? <laughs> he takes the sherry. He takes the schnapp. What gets triggered? phenomenon of craving. He did not know anything about the allergic reaction. So Bill comes to him with the allergic reaction concept of alcoholism. Dr. Bob catches on it. And also Dr. Bob is cool with the whole spiritual side because he's been doing the Oxford group already. It's like he was set up. You know, God had Dr. Bob waiting for Bill to go do this. And clickety-click, he got Dr. Bob going there. Somewhere between page zero and page 84, all of us have been recovered. Don't forget, working with other or uh, paying back amends is step nine, which is, you know, before 84. Dr. Bob, the one thing that he would not do, the one thing that was going to give him that spiritual experience to flip him, to help him become over it, was doing out that, that um, the humility, the embarrassment of telling people, which everybody knew. So he drank and he came back and he knew he had to do that. And he did it and he had the flip. He became recovered. How did he stay sober? That's the important part. First thing they did is started working with others. So getting the spiritual experience, page 0 to page 84, happens. How do we stay sober working intensively with others? That's what this is trying to show us, that it's important for us to intensively work with others to stay sober. Also, early recovery, intensively work with others to help us get to that better, to the next stage of recovery. Dr. Bob could have told Bill, like, you've got less than six months. What do you have to offer me? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those called. Mm. If somebody calls you, you don't think you can handle them. God's got you there. So I just love this. This whole thing is inspiring. It's inspiring the newcomer to get off your butt and go help somebody. And Ebby only had a couple months when he 12-step built, too. It's not us. We just carry the message. God works through us. Who spoke from the podium before? Do you ever feel you sit down and you, you sit down and say, what did I say? 
who's worked with, who's worked with, who, an early recovery, who's worked with somebody and they leave and you're on fire and say, I don't know where that came from. It's not us. We're not educated. We're not brighter than the next guy. Use the book. Let God work through you. And you can even get Dr. Bob sober, which is kind of cool. All right. You want to one up front. Thank you. Tanisha, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Tanisha. Um, many moons ago in AA conference land, I heard a speaker once say that the inches and the minutes or the seconds matter in this point where... Um, it says at the top of 55, well, starting at the bottom of 54, his sanity returned, and he thanked God, selecting a church at random from the directory. He stepped into the booth and lifted the receiver. And, you know, it's important for us to recognize those seconds and those inches that it took for him to actually step into that booth, pick up that receiver, dial those numbers, and like the gentleman had mentioned earlier, you know, actually be patient and wait for the call to go through because it's not like us nowadays where we just pick up the phone and we just have that direct line. And it it means so much to me because, you know, applying this to my life, the seconds and the inches where I have been, you know, in the battle between am I going to, you know, actually go through this and fight through it and do what I'm supposed to do, or am I just going to throw in the towel and settle for the easy route? And, you know, it's so important to me because I also apply it to, am I going to reach out my hand and introduce myself to the newcomer? Am I going to go ahead and give them my number without them asking me? You know, even if I'm just driving down the street and someone pops up in my head, am I going to actually give them a call and see how they're doing? you know, and I haven't heard from them in such a long time. And it's so important to me because it's like having those little moments, even though before sobriety where, you know, I've had God moments before, but I really didn't attach to them as I would because I wasn't sober. But now that I am sober and I look behind me and I see all the places that I've been, all the people that I've met and then have came back in contact with, you know, just to like, it's just amazing how everything does come full circle. And I just want to really appreciate, you know, a second does matter. And so does an inch. So thank you for letting me share. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Hi, Robert. Are you sharing? No. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous did not get me sober. Alcoholics Anonymous introduced me to a bunch of people that introduced me to my sponsor who did not get me sober. He introduced me to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which did not get me sober. It introduced me to God, which got me sober, which introduced me to a way of life of helping others, which keeps me sober. Grace. You know, Bill didn't call his sponsor and say, I'm having a really rough day here, you know. He got off his butt and searched somebody out and worked out. And I mean, it's like we get them delivered in vans, you know. They get delivered to us. They can bring the spoon and see. Well, you know, try talking to a newcomer someday, you know. I had been, I got sober, uh, July 24th, 2006, about six months later, I was, in the whole, whole time, I was general service alternate. I was the chairperson setting up the rooms, tearing down the rooms, coffee maker, meeting maker. I was this total, and I was just getting bored with AA. You know, it was just, yay, sober, meetings, eight meetings a week. Yeah, it was fun. It was better, but, you know, I was getting, getting and, and all of a sudden that Tommy crawled out of the bushes, this little drunk with the fork in him, just 
done. He would do anything, you know. And I started talking to him and introduced me to a way of life which is immensely more wonderful than I ever could have imagined. Tommy, can I bring you? Can I work with you? Would you need a sponsor? Sure. <laughs> you know? And I had a purpose and a wonder. Sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous watching everybody else do the work sucks. It's like you know, I was on the football team. You know, I was, well, I was on the bench the whole time. <laughs> and finally, one day, the coach just comes up to me. It's this horrible cold day. It's sleet and it's horrible. And he just comes up, he puts his hand on my shoulder and says, you know, Mike Chase, we got to win this game. So I'm just going to have to leave you on the bench tonight, you know? <laughs> the best news I ever heard because I never went back to that game. But alcoholics, we don't like watching. We don't like, we like to be in the mix. You want to get somebody sober, get them through the book, get them, get them recovered, and let them work with newcomers. God will take care of us, right? Sure will. It says here on page 153, our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched upon the tide of alcoholism, defeated drinkers will seize upon it and follow its suggestions. And then we go back to page 28. It says, we in turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. So we've got that hyperlink. We should be desperate. You ever been underwater and wanted some air and you hadn't breathed in a while? Yeah. It's pretty desperate, huh? That's the way. I like that. That's when I try to explain to people what phenomenon of craving feels like. It's like you know, you're underwater and you want to breathe, but you can't. You'll do anything to get up. So just it's extreme, but that's the way it was for me. So we got some medallions to pass out tonight. So we're going to, which we're actually going to get out of here on time. So let's do some reading. From and if you didn't get a chance to share, come back next week and raise your hand earlier. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come to you if your own house is in order. But you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. So abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group members, sponsors, to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Do we have any new uh, members of AA with sponsors, any sponsors presenting So if you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and you have a new sponsee that you want to introduce to the family of Alcoholics Anonymous, come on up now, get a medallion, and we shall let you introduce them. And he has always got new ones. Oh, let's get to the microphone. Uh, Red Dot. I'm Jessica. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Jessica. And I'd like to introduce Marnie um, to our group. Marnie. We read the preference and forwards, and we're doing the do. She's... So, everyone, welcome Marnie. Anybody else? Is Todd still here? Todd's... Todd. Has just left, so He's, he sees that. If he comes okay. back, you can you can All right. get him for that. Okay, I love how they do it. So, it has been two thousand five hundred and sixty-five minutes, give or take. Is that about the right time? Is that a, how many minutes in a year? Five two thousand five hundred sixty-five, twenty-five hundred six thousand minutes, something like that. Okay, a year ago today, I uh, I tracked down somebody and. Uh, had a conversation with him, and uh, this past year, he's done some amazing stuff with his time. This is a guy who 
uh, has been with us for a few years, and he is now more experienced, going to be a more effective sponsor than ever. Every time I stumbled, every time I made a mistake, for me, it made me a better sponsor going forward, made me more loving, more understanding. And this gentleman here, who I'm going to give a medallion tonight, is uh, one of my favorite people in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is a guy who gives his life to other people. He's got a spiritual life. He's got a service life. He works. He's got a clean house. He's an amazing person. And he's got one year of continuous sobriety. Come on up, Brian. Could you tell us how you did it? Oh, by the way, not the Academy Awards, right? Keep it short. Right, we do have some music. He's got music. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Ryan. Look at the fancy medallion. It's beautiful. Mike Chase made it at work today. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, this time last year, I was sitting at an IHOP with Mike Chase. The only person in South Florida eating soup in August because I couldn't eat anything else. Um, but yeah, this was, I never thought that I would be standing up here, honestly. I thought that, um, you know, I always thought that I was just one of those unfortunates that was incapable of being honest with themselves. And, um, you know, I, and for a while I feel like I was, you know, and. I feel like that's what the difference has been this time is that, you know, I've, I'm able to be honest now and I'm able to be honest with another person. And, you know, I thank God every day that he put me in your life because um, I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for you either. Um, so I'm just looking forward to seeing what else he has in store, you know. So that's all I've got. Thank you. Thank you. Go unwrap your medallion. Do we have anybody else celebrating a year or more of continuous sobriety? Would that this be month? you, Sunshine? Come on up. <laughs> have fun. Thank you. Hi, I'm Karina. Hi, Karina. Um, I'm here to give uh, Mitzi her coin. She has 14 years today. Uh, it's my joy to watch her grow. Um, and just a joy for the. Uh, Ryan, I love you, darling. You have such a sweet soul. Congratulations. Um, and so this group has been particularly uh, important to me as well. It's been a group that has been so welcoming and made me feel like home. And I'm so grateful for all of you guys. Um, Mitzi and I met each other about a year ago. And she approached me in this very meeting and asked me if we could work together. And we have been on that journey together. And um, I've watched her transform before my eyes. Just beautiful. She's pressed in. She's worked very hard. And I'm so proud to give her this 14-year coin. Girl power. Hi, my name is Mitzi, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Mitzi. I've been thinking about it all day about what to say, because I was like, I want to give them hope, but it's going to be hard. Um, I will tell you that um, this year... God has sent some amazing people into my life, some angels. And um, they are dragging me, <laughs> kicking and screaming, closer to him. And um, as a result, what I found myself doing this year is um, really closing down and getting really quiet. Because um, I had some internal cleaning to do. 
you know, I, I needed to get closer to him, you know, and I, um, a long time ago when I first came around, they said to me, I wish a very slow recovery for you. And I didn't understand what that meant because I was like, why not wish it fast? Like, give it to me fast. But that's not how he works, you know. It's like those layers have to be peeled one year at a time. And I have to tell you, the more the layers, the tougher it gets. Because your call constantly to just be more honest and look further in and, you know, to thyself be true. When you have people um, who are willing to sit with you and do inventory and they have the, um, and they can really tell you what it is that you need to do to get closer to God and you start feeling it and you start seeing it in your life, it's very humbling. But I will tell you this also, it's also very loving because it's like you look around and you're like, he really wants me. Wow. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. So, does anybody have a medallion pickup next week that we can plan for? Home. Good. Is anyone in need of a big book sponsor? Anybody here flying sponsorless? Ooh, no. Who wants to go first class? <laughs> if anyone would like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting to fill out a membership card. Um, let's see, can all home group members raise your hands? Hope you guys, or, yeah, vestigial or real. Can you guys uh, stick around and help us tear down the meeting? It would be really cool. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hope to see you next week. Don't forget this Thursday downstairs in the main fellowship hall is our Alcoholics and Gods series workshop. Starts at 7, 7.15. Fellowship starts at about 5.30. Come around, hang out with us, chill, run to 7-Eleven, chat, smoke. Do vapes, get to know each other, talk about your problems, learn about everybody else's problems, and get close. Join the fellowship, and then later on we find out about how to put into action. And if you're going to be vaping or doing any of the inhalants, uh, make sure you're 75 (laughs) feet away from the church building doors, because uh, we want to stay in good standing with the church. The church is very nice to let us have this meeting, and uh, so please don't smoke in front of the Boy Scouts. Yeah, we're guests here, and they gave us certain rules that we live by. Um, Smoking cigarettes, definitely 75 feet away from the door. We are allowed to vape on the balcony after the meeting. All vapors want to go out there and make clouds for the country. That would be fun. Let us close the meeting now with a moment of silence, followed by the Lord's Prayer. Ask God what you can uh, do for the next person who needs help while we're in this quiet time. Who's going to bring us from shame to grace? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy Thursday, have a safe drive. Godspeed. Godspeed. And thanks, John, for bringing tonight. I am desperately in need of restoration. Can do is keep on praying.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Lifted. 
lessons when I go to sleep at night and I dream now. Oh man, going on 10 years old that song is, God bless, I love you Mike Chase, bye.
Shut up.